Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus Fenstaden of Witts University in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. And a very good afternoon up in London to Patrick Wilkin, who's a security trade and human rights researcher at Amnesty International. And we've invited Patrick on the show today to talk about a new report that he helped write in partnership with the Omega Research Foundation uh, based in Manchester on the Chinese trade in uh, tools of torture and repression. Wow, that's going to be an uplifting conversation, Patrick. I think so. Yes, it's a pleasure to be here. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Let's talk about the report that you helped co-author. And in part, it's really about uh, almost a medieval trade. I mean, when you you wrote in some of the the description of some of the devices that are being exported from China, it really was surprising that this wasn't out of the 15th century, that these are really modern-day tools of, of law enforcement and what you will call repression. Let me just set this up before I kind of get your take on it and kind of quote some information from your report. You pointed out in the report that there's been a huge growth in the number of Chinese companies who are actually participating in the trade of this. Just 10 years ago, there were 28, and today there are now 130 companies participating in the export of what we, of what I think you're going to call repressive tools of torture. Uh, and here's a quote from your report. The Chinese authorities have done nothing to stop companies supplying these sickening devices, your words, for export or to pro- export or to prevent policing equipment falling into the hands of known human rights abusers. So let's get started here by what exactly are they exporting and who are they exporting it to? Just to make one point um, from the outset, uh, the, the report looked at um, a very broad arrangement um, that is being manufactured in, in China. And at one end of the spectrum, there is this inherently cruel um, and, and, as you say, medieval torture equipment, um, including weighted leg shackles, thumb cuffs, um, neck cuffs, uh, and spiked batons, um, electric shock devices of, of various kinds. Um, that's one end of the spectrum, but there is um, a, a huge range which include um, equipment that does have a legitimate role in policing um, and law enforcement. So um, while the, the, the industry in China um, and the number of companies, as you say, has expanded massively like all of China's industrial base, um, the, the, these companies are producing a combination of equipment which we feel at Amnesty should be prohibited, the the kind of torture implements, um, and uh, the more legitimate uh, equipment such as tear gas, riot control, um, handcuffs and so forth. But I think what we found um, in researching this report, uh, and the research was extremely difficult to carry out because There's very little, almost no official information um, documenting this trade, its size, um, its rate of growth, the trading partners with China. What we found was that there had been a massive growth, um, that there was evidence of the use of what we find um, unacceptable equipment, both domestically in China Um, and also in Chinese export markets, particularly in Asia and Africa. 
Um, but we we had difficulty pinning down the precise size of the trade, um, exactly um, which were the trading partners of, of the different types of equipment. And um, in the end, um, we looked at uh, China's growing presence in uh, international trade fairs, um, such as Minipol, um, the, uh, the Desai in, in London, trade fairs in, in South Africa and, and in China as well. Um, and we were pairing that with photographic evidence for, from around the world and also um, the company's own claims, uh, the company's own literature and, and some of the claims they were making on their websites. And I think um, one of the trading regions where, where Chinese equipment is definitely being traded um, is, is Africa. And we highlighted a few instances of what we felt was either trade in equipment that, that um, should be prohibited or trade in equipment that has a legitimate role um, but that can be misused um, and that was being misused. Um, Patrick, in, in in the first sense, like the, the the trade of equipment that should be prohibited to Africa, um, which were the main African countries that that you saw the, this kind of equipment arriving in? Um, well, we found photographic evidence of of electric shock batons um, in West Africa, in 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 Ghana, in Senegal, um, also. A, various types of policing equipment in in Egypt and electric shock equipment in Madagascar. But I think it would be true to say that this would represent a tip of the iceberg. Um, we had companies like uh, Sing Sing Import Corporation, Import Export Corporation, that was advertising um, that uh, it was, it had hundred million dollars, US dollars worth of sales to over 40 um, African countries. And this is a corporation that um, produces a lot of different equipment, but it, this, it includes thumb cuffs, restraint chairs, electric shock equipment, um, and the, the, the types of shock batons that we, we, were, we were observing in, in Ghana, Senegal, Egypt, and Madagascar. Mm -hmm. Let me try and take the position of what the Chinese and how they may have interpreted this. I, I want to put a disclaimer out there. I'm not supporting or endorsing the Chinese position, but just trying to play the devil's advocate here. If um, Are any of these tools, the you know electric stun batons, spiked batons, neck chains, are they illegal under any international convention? Well, um, there's... Uh, there is regulations in, in various jurisdictions. But that, there's um, not a, a UN, for example, like there is on chemical weapons or on other types of, uh, of weapons. There are certain international conventions that prohibit the trade in certain types of weapons, for example, uh, that are just not permitted and by international law. Well, well not, not specifically, okay. but um, I think it's clear that in terms of international law, uh, various standards, including um, the Convention Against Torture, um, make that kind of equipment, which we believe um, intrinsically leads to torture and other ill treatment, um, makes that by 
um, default uh, uh, prohibited, and there is a there was well several resolutions of what they call the omnibus resolutions, which are recurring resolutions in the in the United Nations General Assembly on torture. Um, that does um, that that was passed unanimously, and that does refer to a prohibition on this type of equipment or equipment that is intrinsically abusive. And is China a signatory um, so to the international re- convention? Is, is China a signatory uh, to well, the convention the, on the, torture? The, um, no, okay. but um, uh, but in terms of the resolution, um, it was unanimously adopted. So it's not a legal right. Um, well, it's not even, Standard, and it doesn't have the moral weight. It's an aspiration, so it lacks the moral weight. And so here's here's how I would interpret the folks in Beijing are, are seeing this report from you. Uh, Amnesty's never liked China. You know that goes back for for forty years or however long. I mean, I've been covering China now for thirty years, and there's been, never been a positive report about China coming out of Amnesty. So they'll say, you know, you listen, you guys have had an axe to grind against us on all sorts of human rights issues. So why should we take this seriously? Number one, the organization in the eyes of the Chinese lacks credibility. Number two, is they're saying, well, wait a minute, let's put some context here. Other countries are selling landmines into uh, Africa. Other countries are selling small arms. The Russians, the, certainly the Brazilians, the Americans have been selling vast amounts of weapons into, uh, into, into Africa, which kill far more, uh, which you know, can never be used in a lawful uh, you know, in a lawful, I mean, a landmine is never in a lawful way, in my view. So it's a tool of war. But yet some of these tools could be used for lawful legal uh, law enforcement. So it's a gray area in one sense. And you're lacking the context of what China is doing relative to other powers and, 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 and the rest of the world. And really, you're picking on us. What, what, what would be your response in terms of what you think the Chinese would say to, to in response to your report? Um, well, what we would say and what we do say at the very beginning of the report is um, that we're definitely not picking on China. Um, we This is part of a much larger body of work, um, and we've looked at policing equipment, this type of policing equipment, uh, around the world. We're currently working on a report uh, on the USA, but we have previously produced reports um, on the international situation, and we've done a lot of work on the EU. And I was just about to come to the EU because um, there there are legal restrictions uh, on some of this type of equipment, um, and there are um, regulations which Amnesty and Amiga fed into um, that do... Uh, that that are sort of the first multilateral trade regulations of this equipment. And this report and other work we're doing um, is aimed at uh, expanding the reach of those regulations and getting some international agreements um, and prohibition or or regulation um, of this, as you say, is a grey area. We're just about to have the, the arms trade treaty entering into force on the 24th of December. And the Arms Trade Treaty covers conventional weapons um, and it it does cover some policing equipment, um, such as small arms, but um, it falls short of covering the full array of policing equipment that we believe needs to be regulated in order to avoid the serious human rights violations that are being perpetrated around the world. I might just correct myself that 
China is a state party to the Convention Against Torture. It's the ICCPR that, that, that they, they don't adhere to. Um, but as a, um, as a member of the UN and as a, a, a doctor of, of the Omnibus Torture Resolution, China has signalled an aspiration to prohibit the trade in, in um, intrinsically abusive equipment. So it does have responsibilities um, and um, Amnesty works on many, many different countries and this is one of many reports that we put out this year and we understand that China often reacts negatively to, to Amnesty reports and in fact um, the report was one of the few reactions we got from the Chinese authority was to basically discredit the organisation rather than go through the, the report and answer some of the points that, that we put. And we did try and contact the Chinese authorities, um, not least to try to, to clarify, particularly in the area of what processes they had in place in terms of licensing um, and and vetting um, the, uh, the, the the export uh, the use and export of this equipment, and they didn't respond. So we did give them a forum, and we hoped that we could put their side into this report. But unfortunately, that wasn't um, wasn't possible. Yeah, not not entirely surprising that they wouldn't respond. Just uh, that's just <laughs> not their that's not the way they do things. But nonetheless, it's a good effort on your part to ask them, and I appreciate that. Uh, hey, Cobus, let me get your take on something here, and this is something that, as I was reading the report. Uh, that kept wondering to me is, where do you think the moral burden lies here? Because on the one hand, the report really focused a lot of attention on China and China's responsibility. It said that, you know, China shows that uh, its export controls and law enforcement equipment are weak. They lack transparency. They do not appear to assess the human rights record of the recipient country. And that got me thinking, you know, if the assholes in Ghana, Madagascar, I think, let me, Egypt, Senegal, are using these tools to abuse people, whose moral responsibility is that? Is that the Chinese for providing the tools or is it the people who are using it to abuse other humans or both? But really, I was just, I was thinking about the morality of it all. You know, to my mind, and I think I think Patrick will probably be be able to to articulate this better than I can. But to my mind, there, there seems to be a succession of kind of grey areas in the sense that, you know, so, so some of the equipment seems to be out and out mostly used for torture. Some others are, are used in in forms of of law enforcement or could have legitimate law enforcement uses, like handcuffs, for example. Um, and at the same time, it's a uh, you know it seems like a, a big kind of marketplace out there. You you know, kind of, so if they're not if they're not buying from China, they might very well be buying from a whole bunch of other um, sources as well. So in that sense, it, it seems to me both the use and and the the choice of equipment. In the end, the moral responsibility lies at lies at, you know kind of at the feet of the buyer. Um, and you know, my question is why are African governments stocking up on this? You know, to to the, to the extent that that they are. And it's one. It's you know, it's not only in terms of policing equipment, it's also there's also in terms of of military equipment. Um, you know, because you know, as if like us, you 
read a lot of China-Africa coverage on a daily basis, um, you see these these little articles popping up, you know, on places like defenseweb.co.za, for example, these websites dedicated to, to weapons trade. Um, and you see African governments are buying a lot of weapons. Um, Patrick, do, do you have a, 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 an indication of, of whether the whether African governments are really buying more weapons? Is that just my impression? Um, is this simply replacing old stock or, you know, or is there another kind of trend happening here? Um, I think um, there's certainly, in terms of policing equipment um, and possibly in different regions, um, military equipment, um, there, there's a strong demand in Africa, whether it's rising or not, I'm, I'm not sure. But um, I think um, in terms of China's relationship with Africa and um, just return to the first questions of the, of the moral responsibility, I mean, we'd argue very strongly that the responsibility is all the way down the line and states, whether they're sending policing equipment or arms, have a duty to um, do a risk assessment um, against human rights criteria. And um, this is clearly not happening um, with China. And in, in the case of arms, I was just reading about um, Nigeria, which is, for obvious reasons, um, trying to, to, to stock up on, on weapons um, facing Boko Haram in the north and um, and with these various um, slightly dodgy attempts to deal in cash with South Africa. But, I, but it, it seems that China may be about to um, supply some helicopters to um, Nigeria and that um, might be an instance where the, the main arms supplier, the US, has, has refused to deal with the Nigerian government. So China is, is kind of picking up the trade. So, uh, um, and that, it seems that Russia and China are moving into situations where there might be embargoes or a, a, um, an unwillingness on the part of the EU or the US to supply. Um, and certainly, I mean, uh, China's... There's, there's, a, there's been a lot of talk of China's um, dealings, in, in, especially in, in terms of arms, with, with various African countries, including South Sudan, being kind of parallels to resource issues, in that case, sort of the oil. Um, and um, clearly, uh, there are, there's a lot of real politique that goes on um, but it does appear that, that um, China is more willing, perhaps, to supply um, any comers at this stage mm -hmm. than other states. Well, it's interesting because we spoke with Dr. Luke Patey, who's uh, about the, the arms sales into South Sudan. And one of the things that he pointed out was that, you know, Norinco, who sold that, may not have been operating in sync or in line with official Chinese policy, so, which indicates that the Chinese government... Uh, it may not be in full control of all these companies. And so they may have restrictions in place, but they're not respected or whatnot. Um, that's just one operating theory that might kind of explain some of this, not to rationalize or justify it. But um, let me just get one final question from you. You know, last year, Lacobus and I 
spoke with one of your colleagues who, when we were talking about uh, Ethiopia and the telecoms, uh, that how Chinese telecom that companies... Was, that was with Human Rights Watch. Uh, oh, that was Human Rights Watch. So your oh, rival yeah. human rights organization. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but it was interesting how... Uh, you know, this analyst was was saying that Chinese suppression and some of their oppressive tactics that they use at home are now being exported to Africa. We see the arms sales into South Sudan. Here we have, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, what appears to be, uh, you know, of torturous equipment being sold across the continent. What do you do as a human rights researcher when you step back and look at China's overall engagement in Africa um, on the weight of positive encouraging, you know, optimistic, you know, perspective? Or do you see uh, these worrisome trends that that keep you up at night? Well, I mean, I think, um, as you said before, China um, is not very susceptible to pressure from international NGOs. And that is a serious um, issue. Um, and so it's very difficult to influence um the Chinese, though in the case of South Sudan, it does seem that there was some some influence brought to bear, whether it being to do with the media exposure or the work of um, international NGOs. So um, I don't think they're totally immune to to pressure. Um, in the case of just going to the, the Norinco case, I found that very interesting because it did seem to fit with the limited amount of information that we could gather and that other researchers have gathered on the process in China of actually licensing um, arms uh, exports and exports of policing equipment, which seemed to be labyrinthine. It seemed to involve um, many different government bodies and the companies themselves and to be very shadowy and possibly boast based on kind of personal contact rather than institutional rigor. And I think that is a, a fundamental problem in China. And perhaps to be to try and be more positive, um, perhaps that there is there, there, there's a possibility of, as China professionalizes in other ways, um, its institutions might um, become uh, more um, rigorous in the way that they apply existing rules, um, and that might bring some influence to bear on on things like arms and, and, and policing equipment export. Well, I didn't think it was possible, Cobus, but we're ending actually on a somewhat optimistic <laughs> note here. So that is uh, that's very encouraging. Patrick Wilkin is the security is a security trade and human rights researcher at Amnesty International. More importantly, though, he's a co-author of a report in partnership with the Omega Foundation in Manchester, China Trade and Tools of Torture and Repression, with a big emphasis on what they're doing in Africa. It's a fascinating report. It's really a very important aspect of China's overall engagement in Africa, because as we've mentioned during the show, uh, it's coming up in lots of different areas, whether it's South Sudan and weapons, whether it's uh, telecoms uh, issues in Ethiopia, and now we have uh, tools of torture uh, in many different countries across the, the continent. And so it's a, it's a fascinating read, very controversial. I invite everybody to check it out. Once again, China Trade in Tools of Torture and Repression. You can go to the Amnesty website and you can download it right there. Patrick, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Now, quick question for you. One of the things we like to do at the end of every show is kind of lead people to where they can follow what you're reading and writing. And are you on social media where people can follow your work? Um, Amnesty is on, on social media. Um, okay. I, 
I have a fairly dormant uh, Twitter account. Well, I think um, for so a human rights uh, a human rights researcher, that's probably a smart move. Uh, Amnesty, of course, <laughs> is at at Amnesty, and they are of course prolific across social media. Uh, and if you just go to the Amnesty.org website, you'll be able to find everything about Amnesty International, and uh, and I, I presume a lot of your work that you've uh, that you've written there. Yes. Okay. Uh, Kobus, you, on the other hand, are quite prolific on social media. Where can people find you? I'm on our Facebook page, which is China, sorry, facebook.com slash China Africa Project. Um, And I'm also on Twitter at Stadenesque. That's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. Kobus and I are updating the Facebook page uh, almost 18 hours a day, sometimes even 24 hours a day. Uh, with different stories. It's a great way to stay on top of all of the top news of the day about China, Africa. Uh, just subscribe to it and follow it uh, in your Facebook feed. We're up to almost a quarter of a million subscribers right now, so we're just humbled and grateful and excited that we've got this great discussion that's going on. One of the topics that we talk about a lot uh, is human rights, and so this is a, a great subject to kind of sound off about. Everybody's got a different take, uh, there's a different perspective. There is no absolute right or wrong, I guess. Well, maybe human amnesty might disagree with that. But uh, there are certainly a lot of different perspectives on it. We'd like to hear uh, yours as well. So facebook.com slash China Africa Project. Also, I'm over on a Twitter at E-O-Lander, E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. I'm tweeting the top China in Africa headlines almost every day. So we'll be back again soon with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Until then, thank you so much for listening. <laughs>